Uh, I'm just dropping in uh, to say that I totally fucked up this episode and I recorded it on the wrong mic, but you know what? It's just... It seems to be one of those days and I'm I'm just going to put it out there and uh, I hope it doesn't sound too disgusting. Uh, so, yeah. Hey, how's it going? It's me, Panicky, in the UK and this is Panicky Pictures. Ah! And I am coming at you. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm coming at you with uh, another Hot D episode, and this is a, this part isn't scripted, but this the main part of the episode is going to be scripted. After my very chaotic movie episode, which you may or may not have listened to, which definitely went off the rails, um, not necessarily in a bad way. I mean, I these sometimes turn into like therapy slash journaling sessions, I guess, and maybe that's fine. Um, but this one's scripted, and uh, hopefully we'll stay a little bit more on the rails. And I'd be interested to hear what people think, whether they prefer the scripted ones, the unscripted ones. I'll probably continue to do a mix of both. Uh, but I only really started doing scripted podcasts, I think. Death to Smoochie was my first one. I don't think I'd done them prior to that. Uh, and it swings and roundabouts, to be honest, because the scripted ones take longer to prep, but the unscripted ones take longer to edit. So, you know, I could go either way. Uh, and I have. Um, but, uh, but yes, this is going to be a scripted one. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to stop uh, extemporizing now. And I'm going to segue seamlessly into the scripted part. A quick content note before we begin, I'll be discussing themes present in the show such as incest, sexual coercion, and violence against queer characters. I'll also be discussing the plot of House of the Dragon up to episode 6, and there's a minor spoiler for Rings of Power episode 3. I'll also mention some character deaths in The Magicians and the Hundred, because I'll be discussing the bury your gaze trope. Okay, on with the show. So when last we met, unless you listened to my chaotic movie episode, I had said that I was going to continue watching both Rings of Power and House of the Dragon. That did not last long. I managed to get through the third Rings of Power episode, but only just, and I had to admit to myself that I really wasn't enjoying this show. The third episode didn't even have Bronwyn in it. I was still kind of invested in the Harfoot storyline, and I love the dwarves, so I don't really care about their actual plotline so far. But other than that, it was not hissing for me at all. The line that actually turned me off the most was when Galadriel told Halbrand that he chafed under the rags of the common. I mean, Hot D has a hereditary monarchy, sure, but I don't think it's buying into concepts like birthright. The central thesis behind Game of Thrones has always been that power goes to the person who can play the game the best, unless you count season 8, which that's not. I mean, House the Dragon explicitly tells us that inbreeding and hoarding weapons are the way that the Targs cling to power, and I don't think it's condoning those practices, even though Daemira is totally hot. Yes, I have fallen deeply into the House of the Dragon rabbit hole, so much so that I briefly started haunting the subreddit. I've left it now because someone was mean to me. I know someone on Reddit being a dickhead is not headline news, but it bummed me out. 
Actually, I think there was an influx of new members as the show increased in popularity and the quality control really went downhill. There'd be like two posts a day where someone would say, am I the only one who doesn't like Damon? And then there'd be a bullet-pointed list of all the bad things he'd done. Like his character introduction wasn't him cutting off a guy's balls. Yeah, dude, he's not supposed to be a nice guy. It's like if you were in the Hannibal fandom, which I was, and had to deal with constantly being reminded that Hannibal's actually really problematic. Bullet point one, he eats people. Anyway, I'm off the subreddit now, but for a brief window, there was actually a lot of really interesting conversation happening. After episode three, there was a lot of discussion about whether Rhaenyra sleeping with Kristen could be considered sexual coercion. It got quite heated, but a lot of people had nuanced and thoughtful takes. I have to say that at the time I was on the fence about it, and honestly much less involved in their dynamic than I was in the preceding scenes with Damon. But given Kristen's subsequent behaviour in episode 5, I think it actually does make a lot of sense to read him as not being entirely consenting in that scene. It's obvious that in his ill-advised proposal to Rhaenyra, he was bargaining to try and find a way that he could incorporate what had happened into his self-concept, and when that fell apart, he couldn't handle it. You can read it as someone who read too much into casual sex, of course, but I think that his talk about honour makes it clear that this is less about any feelings for Rhaenyra, and more about his own sense of self being threatened. To me, all of that is consistent with a reading of his sex scene with Rhaenyra being coercive. On the other hand, I did notice a lot of chatter about Alicent that I felt was uncharitable and probably misogynistic in origin. I know, shocker, on Reddit. I do also think a lot of that was from book readers who were letting what happens later, which I'm patchy on, colour their perceptions of the character as written on the show. It's so obvious that Alicent has no choice or agency in marrying Viserys, to the point where she's developed an excoriation disorder due to her anxiety around it. It was definitely interesting to see the double standards at play there, especially when a lot of people pointing to the Kristen scene as being an example of sexual coercion were accusing anyone who disagreed with them of having double standards. One more thing that I picked up from the subreddit before I fled was a very interesting observation about Melos. Someone pointed out a look between two of the female attendants in episode one, when Melos tells Viserys that Emma is breached and that they've tried everything, and he also seems resistant to the idea of cauterization for Viserys' wounds later in the episode. In episode five, he has another disagreement with one of his attending staff about whether to use poultices or leeches, and, of course, he brings Rhaenyra the moon tea at the end of episode four. While I'd noticed most of this, I had put it down to Melos being stuck in his ways rather than actively plotting, but now that it's been pointed out to me, I do think that he might well have a bias towards the high towers, and there's something going on with this guy. I'd also like to touch on the death of Joffrey Lonmouth in episode 5. A lot of people have pointed to this as an example of bury your gaze. Of course, this is hard to argue with factually, and of course the emotional response some people are having to that is completely valid, but I want to explain why for me personally it wasn't a major issue. For me, how much the death of a queer character bothers me is based on two factors. First of all, how major a character they are, and second of all, how common permadeath is on the show. So, for example, while I know a lot of people were deeply upset by the death of Lexa on The 100, I have to say that I had a different reaction to it. Lexa was a relatively new character, and it was a show where major characters died all the time. Lexa wasn't even the first of Clark's love interests to die on the show, let alone the first recurring character. I also felt it was pretty obvious that they were setting up her character coming back in the City of Light, which is indeed what ended up happening. Again, this isn't to invalidate anyone else's feelings about it, just to express my own. A queer character death that I really was upset about was that of Quentin Coldwater on The Magicians, for a lot of reasons. 
This wasn't a minor character, it was the protagonist of the show, a character whose mental illness was not only textual, but was a key part of his character introduction and arc, a character whose bisexuality had fairly recently been revealed. Major characters had died on the show before, but in both cases they'd been brought back in one way or another. The thing I think that bothered me the most about it was that there had been a whole episode about how the show wanted to move beyond the white male protagonist and tell more diverse stories, but there was nothing stopping them from doing that without killing off a mentally ill queer character who was part of a same-sex relationship, though the writers seemed to kind of forget about that. Danny kind of forgot about the Iron Fleet. Also, the other major queer character in the show was pretty much completely sidelined for almost that entire season because he was possessed by a monster, which was not even the first time the show had had a queer relationship break down because someone was possessed by a monster. There also was seemingly a lot of behind-the-scenes bullshit, where most of the cast were not told that Jason Ralph was leaving and they filmed a fake ending, and then season 5, which I didn't watch, was apparently written for spite. First bite. Spite. That's right. Listen, I don't want to go off the rails here. George is getting upset! The point is, Geoffrey Lonmouth was a very minor character who'd only just been introduced. In terms of screen time, he'd only had slightly more than the guy who got stepped on by Caraxes a few episodes ago. It's also a show where minor characters get offed very, very frequently, particularly in light of the character deaths in episode 6 of major and beloved characters, two of whom have been around since the first episode. Joffrey's death seems like kind of a drop in the bucket. Also, this is a Game of Thrones spin-off. Game of Thrones was notorious for killing off characters that people got attached to. Famously, everyone was fair game. While, of course, I would like there to be more queer characters on TV who don't die, I don't really think this is the franchise to look to for that. Unlike The Magicians, which seemingly had a whole episode congratulating itself for the fact that it was about to kill off its neurodivergent queer protagonist before he could even say goodbye to his monster-possessed soulmate, George is getting upset! Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon have never billed themselves as being unproblematic bastions of positive representation. They've always been brutal shows full of death and incest. And while I'm not saying that insulates them from criticism by any means, and I have had major problems with Game of Thrones myself, in this instance, I think that what happened was consistent with the tone of the show. Also, Lainor does now have another lover who, at time of recording, is still alive, so we actually still have the same number of queer characters in the show as we did before. And this one has already had almost as much to do as Joffrey ever did. But that's just my take. Okay, let's move on to episode 6, which comes after a major time jump and a big cast shakeup. The fantastic Millie Alcock and Emily Carey have been replaced by Emma Darcy and Olivia Cook. Theo Nate has been replaced by John McMillan. And Savannah Stein, who is only in one episode, has been replaced by Nana Blondell, who was also only in one episode. So let's start with Blundell. I have to say that while the emotion of her performance was great, I was a bit thrown off by the fact that her accent was so different than what had already been established of Lena in previous episodes. As much as I love Peter Dinklage, I always had a similar problem with him, as he was the only major Game of Thrones cast member whose accent was truly terrible. Nikolai Costa-Wildos was actually pretty solid, and he doesn't even have English as a first language. I also thought that what we saw of Savannah Stein in episode 5 was excellent, and it was a shame to lose her so soon. That said, I was not prepared for Lena to fucking die in this episode, in the first of two serious holy shit moments. 
if I were going to get upset about a death in this show on a metatextual level rather than just an emotional one, because there are other deaths that I'm very upset about but don't consider bad storytelling, it would be this one. Well, I thought Lena's actual death scene was really well done, and it's of course striking that this is a death where she has agency in stark contrast to that of Emma, it did feel like a bit of a rush job to me. It's also kind of convenient that she happened to have a conversation with Damon immediately before that about how she wanted to die and how she wanted their children to be brought up. I do think that this could have been drawn out a little bit more, but I think that events like this are kind of the nature of the way the show is operating with major time jumps between episodes. To tackle the rest of the cast, I think John McMillan is great, and I've been a big fan of Olivia Coke for years. This is the first thing I've seen Emma Darcy do, but I think their take on the character is really interesting. In the case of both Darcy and Cook, these definitely don't feel like the same characters we've been watching for five previous episodes, but I think that might be deliberate. It's striking how twisted Alison has become compared to the victimised young girl portrayed by Emily Carey, and how passive Darcy's Rhaenyra is compared to Alcock's, but I can see how that could happen to these people after ten years of power games and parenthood. Speaking of parenthood, let's talk about those kids. We didn't really get to know Rhaenyra's that well. Jace probably did the most, but I don't know if I got a strong, <laughs> strong sense of who the two older boys were and how they were differentiated from one another. In the case of Alison's children, I think we got a lot more information. I'm not a big fan of Aegon so far. I mean, he seems like a pretty normal teenage boy, but my experiences with normal teenage boys have not been overwhelmingly positive. I've heard rumblings of spoilers about Eamon's character trajectory, though I've been trying to avoid them, but at this point I actually think he's a much more sympathetic character than his brother. As someone who was bullied at that age myself, I really felt for him in the way that he was ganged up on by the other boys, though I absolutely think Egon was the ringleader, and I don't really blame the strong boys for it. Then there's Helena. What's going on there? I mean, she's clearly coded neurodivergent, which I think is interesting, and Alison's attempts to connect with her are actually quite touching. But, and again, this is largely gleaned from spoilers I picked up on the subreddit, which I have now left, it seems like she may have some kind of psychic ability? I know this is something which somewhat runs in the Targaryen family, so it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Last but not least, the dragon twins, Baylor and Raynor, possibly not actual twins in the show, we don't know much about Bailey yet, but we know that Raina's dragon egg didn't hatch and that she feels overlooked by her father, though we have seen Damon interact with the kids in a way that suggests he's affectionate towards them, as he was towards their mother. Like Rhaenyra, Damon seemed muted this week, and I think that maybe that's a reflection of the fact that they've been apart for so long. It seems like they've both been avoiding Dragonstone since the previous episode, and of course these two characters very much echo one another. They've both married Valarion siblings and settled into marriages that fall on the contented but passionless end of the spectrum, though I think Damon's is by far the more successful of the two, and he and Lena wouldn't have been a bad match at all if he weren't hung up on Rhaenyra. While Damon perhaps doesn't love Lena as much as Viserys loved Emma, it's obviously very significant that when he's offered the same option as his brother was, of sacrificing his wife to potentially save his unborn child, he not only refuses, but doesn't even seem to be tempted. Sure, Damon's under much less pressure than Viserys was to produce a male heir, but I think it does demonstrate that, for all his many flaws, Damon isn't as enmeshed in the heteropatriarchy as Viserys is, and I think we saw that in episode 4 too. Also, if Damon had wanted to dispose of his wife, this would have been a very convenient way to do that without any blame being attached to him, 
and that he didn't take that way out of the marriage, unlike in the previous episode where he actively murdered his first wife, shows that there was a genuine affection and respect between the two of them. I've talked about Lena's death from a couple of different angles now, so I want to talk about the other two very shocking deaths in this episode. We lost our strong men, Lyle and Harwin, the two unproblematic kings of Hot D. Let me say this, I will never forgive that rat-busted Laris for this. Speaking of people I'll never forgive, I was never the biggest fan of Kristen anyway, but it turns out he's the absolute fucking worst. Alright, I'm going to leave it at that for now, partly because... George is getting upset! But also because I originally was intending to put an episode out at the mid-season point, prior to episode 6, but then I left it so late, I thought I might as well wait until the next episode had come out, and if I wait any longer this time, I might as well wait until Monday, and then I'll probably keep procrastinating until next weekend, and so on ad infinitum. I'll probably do another one of these after episode 10. As always, you can follow me on Letterboxd at Panicky in the UK, or email me at panickyintheuk at gmail.com. Alright, until next time. Vala Magulis.